Today being uh, the 8th, we're in Proverbs 8, and a lot of the book of Proverbs is um, authored, it's obviously authored by God, but it comes written in the first person. The first person is wisdom, okay? So this is wisdom talking, verses 22 and 23. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was appointed from eternity from the beginning before the world began. I just remark at that every time I see that, that the very first thing God created was wisdom before the heavens and the earth. Anyway, that's, that's, uh, that's an amazing proverb. That means God prioritized wisdom pretty highly, and I, I just think that it's really good to do that. Today we're starting a new series, and uh, the series basically is this. You're dead. So now what? We're going to talk about we're going to talk about the so now what and talking about death can make a lot of people uncomfortable. In fact, um, just the subject is kind of kind of odd to us in a lot of reasons. In in Dallas, Texas, there's this store, and it's called the Casket Store, and it's an actually a retail place. You can't hardly see it, but it says. Um, open to the public right there in neon, a casket store. Can you imagine that? It's a retail store. Instead of selling fishing lures and tackle like they ought to be selling, they're selling boxes. Okay, this is a quiet audience. Like, Terry, why, what, where are you going with this? I mean, it's like, can you imagine being a salesperson in this store? Hi. Do you want to try the one on for size? Go ahead and climb right in there. I wonder how many people would say, yeah, you know, I, I think it fits me. or no. I mean, I don't know. Or, or and if you've ever bought a car before, this is really irreverent, isn't it? But I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you've ever bought a car before, I can think of some of the things that a, that a casket store salesman might say to you. Like, what's it going to take to get you into one of these today? <laughs> did, you know, did you know Costco.com sells them? It's kind of wild. I mean, it's kind of cool that you don't, you know, I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's on Costco.com. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an unusual uncomfortable subject. And um, so why are we talking about death? Well, you know, today I want to lay a foundation for where we're going to go over the next few weeks and specifically in detail talk about what the Bible, what the Word of God says about things like heaven, what it says about hell, what it says about will my pets go to heaven? Will Do people up there look down at us? Will there be marriage? All of those kinds of things, we're going to talk about some of those. And you might still be saying, well, Terry, what, what's the big deal? Why why are you on this topic? Because this, what you believe about death and eternity will determine how you live today. What you believe about death and eternity will determine how you live today. It should determine how you live your daily life. People believe a lot of different things, and obviously I don't have time to talk about all of them. I'll just hit on a few interesting ones. There are atheists out there that basically don't believe um, in eternity. They, when you die, it's over you're worm dirt, that's it. There's no motivation to think eternally, it's just what they think. There are people who believe in a place called purgatory, and if you go there, you're kind of stuck in the middle, you're neither heaven nor hell, and people who are alive can pray you out of there, and they can do some things to get you out of there. Islam teaches that when you die, Allah will weigh your works. And if your good works are good enough, then you'll go to paradise. If they're not good enough, then you'll go to hell. Some people believe in angels, that after you die, you'll become a fat, bald, naked baby sitting on a cloud playing a harp. <laughs> I've seen the pictures, so have you. I mean, 
I mean, I don't know how many people take it that way. Some people believe in reincarnation, which is an interesting concept. If you've been really good in this life, then you come back next time in a higher life form. And if you've been really bad, then you like come back as a cockroach or a mosquito, I suppose. What do you have to do if you're a mosquito to, to work your way back up? I mean, do you have to like drill the perfect place right in the middle of the back that nobody can scratch? I mean, that's like, well done, mosquito. Get to move up now. You can be a cockroach. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know too much about that, but um, I, I like poetry. And so I want to read you a poem about reincarnation. And you can forgive me later. (laughs) What is reincarnation? A cowboy asked his friend. It starts, his old pal told him, when your life comes to an end. They comb your hair and wash your neck and clean your fingernails and put you in a padded box away from life's travails. Now the box in you goes in the hole that's dug into the ground. And reincarnation starts right up when you're planted neath that mound. Them clods melt down just like the box and you who is inside. And that's when you begin your transformation ride. And in a while the grass will grow upon your rendered mound till someday on that very spot a lonely flower is found. And then a horse may wander by and graze upon that flower that once was you and now has become your vegetated bower. And now that flower, the horse Dunnett, along with other feed, makes bones and fat and muscle essential to the steed. But there's a part that he can't use, and so it passes through. <laughs> and there it lies upon, this gro- upon the ground, this thing that once was you. <laughs> and if perchance I should pass by and see this on the ground, I'll stop a while and ponder at this object that I've found. I'll think of reincarnation and life and death and such, and I'll come away concluding why you ain't changed all that much. <laughs> the bottom line is is what you believe about death and eternity will determine how you live on the earth so I want to try to recover from that and determine and build a little bit of a foundation about death uh, on the Bible the Bible is pretty clear on some things, and it's less clear on others. So let's, let's talk about what do we know. What do we know? So here's a few things. One thing that we know, and that is that death is certain. Studies are conclusive. One out of one people dies. And uh, I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. <laughs> and that is unless you're a believer and Jesus returns during your lifetime, you will die. We all do that. Hebrews 9, verses 27 and 28 say this, Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. What do we know? A scripture says you're destined to die and then it's appointed under man, under man to uh, face the judgment. What will happen at judgment depends on what you did with Christ during your lifetime. That's why Jesus is so important to our eternal, de- our, our ter- our eternal destiny. Our sins, and we all have them, we all fall short of the glory of God. Our sins separate us from a holy God. But here's some amazing gospel good news. God so loves people all of them, that he gave his only begotten son. So 
Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect and a sinless life. And then Jesus shed his innocent blood and died on a cross, becoming the perfect sacrifice. And here's the amazing good news. He didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. And because of his perfect sacrifice, and by our faith when we believe in him, we're called righteous by God. In spite of our sinful nature, we're called righteous by God and adopted into God's family by that faith and by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Scripture says that anyone, anyone, that's you, that's me, it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, how you've messed up, or how good you are, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Some of you were led here today by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and witnessing in your soul this moment. And you'll make a decision to open your heart and say, yes, I call on the name of Jesus. And when you do that, you'll have relationship with the Creator and your eternity turns. Your eternity turns. And your name will be written in what's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And it can never be blotted out. It's an amazing, miraculous process. And then when you die your physical death, you won't die eternally. You'll live with God in heaven. That's amazing good news. <laughs> it's an amazing good news. What do we know? You will die. Death is certain. Second thing we know is that when we die, the soul and the body separate. Do you realize you are not your body? I mean, this is skin and flesh. It's not the real Terry. It's a tent. The word all throughout Scripture that refers to our human body, it refer, references it. It's a, it's a temporary dwelling place, like a tent would be. It's like, you know, it's, 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 not, it's real, but it's not the real me. I'm basically a bag of mostly water. <laughs> it's a house. <laughs> okay, all the Star Trek fans will understand that later. I'll deal with you later too. <laughs> and as you think about this temporary dwelling that is carrying who you are, that's all it's doing. It's carrying who you are. And for some of you, you're pretty happy about that. That's good news because you have physical challenges that are really difficult. And when you die, your body dies, but you continue living. You do. You do continue living. Here are the words of Jesus in Matthew 10. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, because they're two different things. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. One day when your physical body dies, you will still be alive. And the people who know you will be doing things like planning the, the memorial service and maybe planning to buy some macaroni noodles to make the macaroni salad for the reception. And they'll be doing those things. And you will still be alive. Still very much. I, I'm, I hadn't been a pastor for very long and... Um, I, I was, I was called. I was the pastor of the day, which was I was every day because there wasn't very many of us. And and uh, I get this phone call from the receptionist, and she says, "There's a lady on the phone who wants to talk to a priest." And I'm thinking, okay, that's a Catholic context. She's looking for for a guy with a black thing with a white, you know, 
and I'm not a priest. I'm a pastor, but if she's looking for that, I don't know what to do here because, and I'm very, very inexperienced. And um, so she gets on the line. I get on the line, I start talking with her, and I said, you know, I'm not a priest. I'm a pastor. She says, that's good enough. That'll work. (laughs) And um, so what's going on? And she said, well, um, she was... she was providing in-home care to a lady who was near death. And this lady who called had relationship with the Lord, and she didn't really know what to do or who to talk to, but she was looking for somebody. So I, she said, would you come and talk? Yes, I'll go out and talk. So I met with this, this, I, I met with this lady who was on her deathbed. And um, over time, um, I started meeting with her. She, she probably lived a m- couple of months, and I would go and sit with her a couple of times a week, and we would read out of the Psalms or whatever. I would just say, hey, you know, I'm... She wanted, she wanted somebody who knew God. She felt that she would be closer to God. She knew there was a God, but she knew she wasn't close to God. So she wanted somebody who would... Friends with God to be friends with her and by association. Do you follow what's going on? So over time, I just would be there, and in the terror of her death... She knew and got some peace because somebody who had a relationship with God was hanging out with her. And we would spend time in God's word. And I could see peace start to, to, to seep into her soul. When we just read the, the scriptures, hey, can I read Psalm 139 to you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Eventually, the time was right. And I said, you know, you can have peace for eternity. Do you want it? Yes. How do I get it? You have a relationship with the one who rules eternity. You say to the Lord, yes, you call on the name of Jesus. She did, and she, and she, she, um, she opened her heart to the Lord. It was an amazing thing. I got to be a priest for a while. It was pretty fun. <laughs> so her family asked me to do the memorial service, and I had never done one of those before. And uh, so I was freaking out, and I didn't know what to do. And, and I told them the things I just told you at this memorial service, and I don't think that's what they bargained for. I don't think that's what they expected. They kind of wanted to do the traditional thing. Mom's dead. Let's have our deal. Let's get on with whatever. And I'm telling them this amazing stuff. And at the reception, the family broke out into fist fights. <laughs> now, I don't think it's because of what I told them. <laughs> they didn't break into a fist fight with me. I was fine. But um, I told them this amazing thing. And it just blew right past. I could tell because they weren't talking about the amazing thing. Mom's still alive and we can live too. There was all these other things going on that just detracted. And here's some more words of Jesus, John 11. He says, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And I told these guys, this whole family at this memorial service, and it just didn't ever land. What do we know about death? We know it's for certain. We know that the body and the soul will separate. And then eventually, the word says that you will face judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, just as man is destined to die once, and after that, then to face judgment. If you're like me, the thought of being judged by God is very sobering. I mean, to be judged by people is nerve-wracking enough. I remember I took an, a speech class in eighth grade, because I don't know why. Why do you submit yourself to that, you know? And eighth graders can be hard on each other. Have you, do you know this? Did you know this? Kids can be, you know, they can be savage beasts. 
I was, you know. And so whatever happened to me in that speech class, I fully deserved because I had stoked those fires personally. And everybody had to, at some point, give a speech. I mean, you get in the class, you knew sometime in that semester you are going to have to get in front of the class and speak. And I, it, it terrorized me. And I thought, okay, but I'm doing it because i got to get out of this class with some kind of a grade. And um, when my time came, I got up there and I did my thing. And I thought I did okay, although I didn't. And when they assessed me as a group, I felt completely pulled apart, molecule by molecule by molecule. I mean, I felt completely dissembled. Judgment, you're not good enough. And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of how I feel about myself. Not good enough. I am never, ever going to stand up in front of people and speak again. And you can see I've stuck to that. (laughs) I mean, the word says after you die, you'll face the judgment. And that judgment won't be anything at all like eighth grade speech class. What does the Bible say about those judgments? You know, there are people who have different opinions about what the word teaches. I'm going to show you what most conservative biblical scholars believe about the judgments. And I'll tell you that I agree with these beliefs, so I'm going to teach it that way. Um, Basically, the word mentions at least two, two, two primary judgments that are going to happen. The first that you might see is something called the great white throne judgment. A good, the right question to ask, I think, about that judgment isn't what will happen there, but who's going to be there? And uh, I believe that that will be only non-believers will be at the great white throne judgment. Revelation, we see that in Revelation 20. John is having this vision under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and so here's what he says. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. So we have some books that have something in them, and then we have a separate book called the book of life. The the dead were judged according to what they had done. They were judged according to their works, as recorded in the books. Verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So what do we know? We have the great white throne. There are people there, and there are some books. We have the book of life, and we have these other books. And apparently, if your name is not found in the book of life, you're judged based on your works. Were you good enough based on the works that are recorded in the books to make it into heaven? That's basically the equation. Scripturally, we know that no one is. No one is good enough. Ephesians 2 goes on to say that we're not saved by our works, but by grace, so that nobody can boast about how good they were. And uh, the Bible very clearly says that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus and in that alone. So if your name's not written in the Lamb's book of life, you're judged based on your works. And that's a losing equation. It's a no-win scenario. And um, the word says that that those who are judged based on their works will be thrown into, the Greek word is limpur, which literally means fire lake or lightning lake. It's just not a good place. There's lots of labels that you may have heard people use over the years. It's the lake of fire, everlasting destruction, hell, eternal damnation, separation from God. It's a very real place that we'll talk about another time. 
The great white throne judgment is a place you do not want to be. You do not want to be there. You'd rather be in the book of life so that you're not judged based on your works because you won't qualify based on how good you are. The great white throne judgment. The second judgment mentioned in Scripture is called the judgment seat of Christ. That's enough on the last one. Let's move on. It's important that you understand this. It's really important that you know these things. So let's move on to the judgment seat of Christ. If you're at the judgment seat of Christ, you, you're, going to be judged, you're not going to be judged at that point whether you qualify for heaven. Apparently, the judgment seat of Christ is only for believers. So your eternal destination is not judged there. That was already determined when you were on the earth, when you responded to the grace, to the work, to the love of Christ while you were on the earth. And most people believe, and I agree with that, that your eternal destiny is not determined at the judgment seat of Christ, but it's there that your works will be judged to see whether you qualify for heavenly rewards. That's what's going to happen there. Let's, let's let Scripture speak to us about this. So here's Paul speaking to the Romans, found in Romans 14. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Do you catch that? All. Everybody's going to stand before the, the Lord's judgment seat. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so we can see if we're saved. No. So that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So I believe that at the judgment seat of Christ, you're not going to be judged for salvation. That was already settled on the earth. But you'll be judged to see if you qualify for rewards in heaven. The Greek word for judgment used here, you may have heard this before, it's bema. It's spelled B-E-M-A. It's pronounced pronounced bema. And it literally means step up. Um, We see this used a couple of ways in our society, in our culture today too. Still, one way we see it is judicially. Um, you'll, you'll see something happen in the courts where the, um, the judge comes in and they say, all rise, and so you step up. You, you bema. Or if you are the guy that's in trouble and the judge is ready to pronounce sentence or the jury is ready to read their verdict, they'll tell the defendant to stand up, to bema. So this is a step up. Another place that we see it and more traditionally used in the Greek context was at athletic events. If you um, won your event, you would go to a place and they would ask you to bema, to step up. And then you would bow down and they would put upon you this laurel wreath upon your head and this award for winning. It would be a place of reward. So imagine this. Your body dies. You go before God or maybe Jesus in heaven and he rewards you. And you look into his eyes and for the first time, You really get it. You see the love of God like you were never able to understand while you were walking on the earth. And all of a sudden, all you want to do is prostrate yourself and say, God, you're so holy. I worship you. And your awe, your awe and reverence for his loving kindness is not going to want to end. It's just not going to want to end. It's not going to want to go away. And yet, He's going to want to take you by your hand and lift you up and look you in the eyes. And he's going to say to you, I am so proud of you. I am so in love with you. I am so loving the way you handled yourself. Come on, enter in. Loving, faithful one. 
It's going to be an amazing moment. And Jesus is going to say to you, now here is the reward for what you did to me. And you're going to say, well, Lord, I didn't ever do that to you. And he's going to say, hold on a second. You know my word. Jesus said, I said to this to you, and it's written in the Bible, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Remember? Remember you were driving and you had to get to that office, that appointment, and it was really important, and people were waiting for you, and you drove by and you saw that woman on the side of the road and her tire was flat, and you could have called AAA, but you didn't. You thought, this isn't safe. I don't want her sitting out. You don't even know her, and you pulled over, and you changed her tire, and you got all dirty, and you got her on her way safely. That was me. That wasn't a woman you didn't. That was me. Now, here are the treasures you stored up. At that moment, you stored up. Here, here are those treasures. Remember that family that you watched, and you saw them, and you, you could see that they were in trouble, and you didn't have much yourself, And instead of just thinking, I don't have anything, you gave what you had to them to care for them, to provide for them. You cooked those meals. You watched their kids. You paid for their electric bill. You did those things. Remember that? You had need, and yet you were generous. That was me. Here, you stored these things up then. Take them. They're yours. I'm so glad to give them to you. It was so much more than what you gave away that day. Do you remember at work? You could see your co-worker come in and her head was downcast and she was brokenhearted and you stopped what you were doing. You had your deadlines and people were breathing down your neck and you said, hey, are you okay? And when you heard the problem, you said, can I pray for you? And you shared good news with that person and you saw weight come off her shoulders. Again, that was me again. Or do you remember you were trying to make this career decision. You had this opportunity, and it looked so good. And everyone around you was saying, yeah, do that. But you never got peace in your soul because you were waiting upon me, and I wasn't in that. And you didn't know at the time, but there was problems down that road. And instead of going where you saw reward instantly, you thought, no, I'm not going anywhere that I don't hear the peace of the Lord leading me. I just can't do it. That's because I was there. You trusted me with your tithes and with your offerings. You stored up treasures in heaven just like, like my word says to do. You did that. Here, here you go with interest. You trusted me. That was me. And he asks you to kneel down on your, and he says, here you go. And he puts this crown upon you. A crown. What kind of crowns are going to be in heaven? I don't know too much for sure, but the Bible mentions a few um, and I'm uh, at least five of them, so um, I've dug up five, and I'm going to go over with you what some of them are. First, the first crown is called the incorruptible crown, and um, this is for the person who exercises self-control. They're striving to be the best they can be. You'll find it referenced in 1 Corinthians 9, 25. This is a person who is always looking to mature themselves in Christ. When you wake up, Reading the Word of God is important to you. you. You love to pray and you love to fast and you love to have biblical groups and community with relationship with other people. This is the incorruptible crown. A second one is called the crown of rejoicing. This is given to people who just love to win other people to Christ. You see that in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. You bring other people to church because you want them to hear the good news. You want them to enjoy the peace that comes from knowing Christ. You... Um, 
you know, there are some people who they just listen to Christian music all the time and they stay to themselves and they question themselves. That's not you. You want to be involved in other people's lives and you, you want to pray with them and care for them. You're not just looking for opportunities to tell other people about Christ. You show it to them with the way you love them, the way you care for them. That's the crown of rejoicing. crown of, re- of righteousness is for, uh, given for people who love his appearing. You'll see that in 2 Timothy 4. That's for people who know that this is not their house, that this is temporary. This is for people who, who don't, they're not just way full of joy because of all of their stuff. They're looking forward to the date of Jesus appearing. They're so much at peace with their relationship with the Lord. They're not afraid of his return. In fact, they're comfortable. He can come back any moment now. That's the crown of righteousness. The crown of life given for people who endure real trials and hardships and they still hang on to Jesus. You know, today, this very day, there are people around the world today who will be martyred because of their relationship with Jesus crown of life. And then the crown of glory which is given to people who eagerly, faithfully shepherd the Lord's flock. For, you know, some of you work in Sunday school and you usher or you lead the youth or for, you know, kids ministries, people who are pastors, um, people who shepherd the flock. And, you know, sometimes you may not know this unless you lead in some way like that. But sometimes Christians can be a little bit difficult to lead. (laughs) I know because I'm a difficult one to lead sometimes. I mean, um, we can be a little bit hard to lead. And sometimes leaders, sometimes pastors resign from their role of leading just because of the hardships. Anyway, so the crown of glory. Have you lived a life worthy of the rewards of God? Is the question asked. Some of you have. Probably most of you have. But some of us haven't. So look at scripture. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15 says, A person's work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, that's capital B, capital D, day, it's a specific, it's the judgment day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So here's the bottom line. One day, you who are believers, you'll be judged. Your work will be judged, or your lack thereof, your, your motives will be judged. And many of you are going to re- be rewarded so handsomely, you won't hardly be able to contain it. It's going to be really good. You know, because you're amazing servants, you love God, you love people, you're servant-hearted, you're Christ-like. And you don't do it for the rewards, but you will be rewarded. But there are also believers who haven't done hardly anything for Jesus, but receive from him. You benefit from salvation, but there's not a whole lot of evidence of his love in your life. And you may have prayed a prayer and received Christ, but you've never done anything with it. And yes, on that day, you will go to heaven, but only as one escaping through the flames. That moment, you would give anything to go back and do it over again because you see just how good he is. What your eternity, what you believe about eternity will determine how you live. When your body is in the grave and you're still alive, when that day comes, you'll receive the most warm, loving, wonderful embrace from our Savior Jesus. Or if you're without Christ, 
it will be a day of gloom and despair and hopelessness like you've never dreamed before. Yet at that moment, your destiny is forever fixed, eternally unchangeable. There's no appeal at that moment. That's why today is so important. Lord, help us. Help me, Lord, to be more eternally minded. Help me, Lord, to see things through your loving eyes, knowing that when hell was created, it was created for one person and that you reluctantly expand it only with enough space for one person when they refuse your love. Church, keep praying. As you consider whether Jesus is pleased in these moments right now with with you and where you're at, this is also a really good time to purpose in your heart just to do whatever it is he's speaking to you. If If the Lord's been asking you to start something, to do something, to stop doing something, ask his forgiveness for your failure to respond quicker, and then just determine in your heart right this moment to do what pleases him and what's in his will. And he will be pleased with you. If the Holy Spirit is inviting you right now to trust God with your eternity so that you go to the judgment seat and not to the great white throne judgment, now's the time to open your heart and tell him, yes, I believe and I put my trust in you as Savior. The word says that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved and then live life that way. So Lord, as your spirit is speaking to 100% of us today. I know this room is full of people who believe and follow you. And I know, Lord, that they serve you and they give to you and they just do things. But God, I also know that you're shaping and maturing us all. So Lord, I want to thank you, God, for the fact that you have rewards planned for us. There is a judgment to avoid and a reward to be grabbed onto. Lord, help us to think heavenly about these things. I pray, Lord, right now, as your spirit would stir among us, if there is anyone here, for anyone here who has never purposed with their heart to, to, to call on the name of Jesus, that they would do that now. Church, while, the, while we're praying, while eyes are closed, if you've never called on the name of Jesus for salvation, I encourage you to do it right now. Call on the name of Jesus. I just want to agree with you in prayer, and I won't identify you in any other way, but if you want me to pray with you, would you just look up at me and let me see your hand? So I look across the room and we'll pray, and that's it's that simple. Right now. Okay. Lord, I want to thank you, God, for a room full of people who've put their faith in you already. Lord, I want to thank you, too, that you love us, that today's message, although it can be very final in its truth, is full. It's absolutely full of love. We started out this day, Lord, saying, We want to seek your face, and that's exactly where we've ended, seeking after your face. Because, Lord, your grace is enough. We say it, we believe it. We believe it, Lord. Your grace is enough. We thank you for that.